good to see you, everybody. Thanks for being here. I was trying to do something crazy, and um, wisdom said I shouldn't do it, so I'm going to be wise, okay? It'd be great for TV, though. I promise you, it would have been great for TV, but uh, we're not going to do it. Hey, welcome. Thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, it is a joy and an honor. Thanks for dealing with the high gas prices as well as waking up. Um, uh, losing an hour and still coming to church. Praise God, somebody. For those of you who are joining online because you're still in your PJs, uh, welcome to. Um, we still love you. Uh, for those of you outside of the DFW area, thanks for hanging out with us. What a joy. All right, let's get to work. We have um, one verse to read. That's it. One verse you don't want anymore. Stand, please. One verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. That's all you can read. Go to your Bible, get your, get your phones out, get your Bibles out. You must put an asterisk beside one phrase in this verse, and you must remember it for the rest of your life. All right? Uh, look at your neighbor. Tell him we read the word. Good. Here we go. Everybody read loud. I'm going to read it all the way through. Then we're going to jump in. Here we go. Everybody together. And he, for all... But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Notice, some of you all missed the most potent part of this verse already. The text says, and he died for all. That's good news, somebody, that he died for everybody, okay? So that, why did he do it? So that they who live, that's you. The theologians call this phrase um, already, not yet. Say that with me. Already, not yet. One more time. Already. Not, you got it. Already means that's when Jesus Christ came, when you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, that means he gave you his righteousness. So you are, so now he is, he is, you have salvation, now he's sanctifying you, but you're not in your glorified state yet because that's when you meet Jesus face to face. So that's why they call it already, no, say already with me, already, Last time, we're going to get it off. For, say it with me. Already not You got it. So that's where we are. We're in the already not yet. Here's what he says. So that they who live, here we go now. This is going to mess you up. Might no longer live for themselves. In other words, you live to serve everybody else. You don't live for yourself anymore. In other words, you're not building your own kingdom anymore. You're building the kingdom of God. You see how you don't even like it? In other words, what the text is suggesting is um, you should not be on a mission for your agenda. You should be on a mission for God's agenda. In other words, in your marriage, you're not living for you. You're living for your spouse. In other words, whenever you begin to say, what about me? You're on the wrong side of the equation. Because the text is suggesting that because of what Jesus Christ did, we might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In other words, God's saying, when I came and I died, I gave you my stuff, my righteousness, so that you now can live for me. So whenever, two weeks ago, here's the problem we, we teed up. We said, whenever you have marital issues, the problem never lies outside of you. It lies 
in you. For the most part, whenever you have marital issues, the problem does not lie, this is two weeks ago lesson, outside of you, it lies where? Said the problem's with me. You notice that is 20% of y'all said that. One more time. Said the problem is with me. I do it up there in a white shirt. Be like, mm-mm, it's not with me. <laughs> I'm joking. Don't get mad. Don't walk out. I'm, I apologize. Um, today I have one phrase that I'm going to pray and then we're done. Here's the one phrase, the one lesson I have today. And you're going to say it with me two times. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. Listen to it three more times. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. I'm going to say it one more, then you're going to say it with me. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. Say it with me now. A desire for a good thing becomes a when that desire is a Not y'all, just these guys. They don't believe me. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a... Some of you be like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Mm -mm. I don't get it. What does that have to do with marriage? This side. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a... That's only the first four rows, by the way, but it's okay. Uh, if, you're the, if, you're the, if you're online, put it in the chat. Everybody together last time. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a... You may be seated. Heavenly Father, will you guide us with your word today? And um, will you help us to see ourselves in the midst of this so that you can do the work on our hearts that you need to do? It is me. It is each one of us that's standing in the need of prayer for violating this biblical concept that a, a good desire will become a bad one when it becomes a ruling one. Will you teach us through your word in Jesus' name? Everybody said? Amen. Amen. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a some of you still don't believe me, so let me help you out. Uh, let's say that the, the, the good desire that you have is you like when you come home and everything in the house is clean. You enjoy that. You enjoy when you go in the kids' room, it's all laid out. The bed's made, the, the, the toothbrush and toothpaste are where they're supposed to be. All the socks are color-coordinated, in order. You like when the floors are vacuumed and it smells of Clorox. You just like that. You like it. You like it. You like it. You like it when you get downstairs or when you go in your kitchen and everything is laid out really nice. <clears throat> All the dishes are out of the, uh, the dishwasher and they're put in the right place and you love it. It's a good thing. You like when you go in your bedroom, everything is all laid out really nicely. The bed's been uh, folded and it just looks, the bed's been made and it looks beautiful. And there's just something about that that just fills you with joy. And it's a good thing. 
Ah. But it becomes a bad thing. When you wear your kids out and your kids become secondary to your desire to have a clean house. When it becomes a ruling thing, it is no longer a good desire. It is now a ruling desire, which is what makes it bad. Because now you're either going to use your kids to make you feel good as a vehicle to make sure that you feel good about yourself, or you're going to use them as obstacles, and since they're frustrating you, you're going to get everything out of them, and you're going to wear them out until they do what you want. The problem is, it's one thing to do it for your kids. It's a whole nother deal to do it for your spouse. A good desire becomes a bad desire when that desire is a... Let's say that's not it. It's not cleanliness for you. It's something else. Then you're going to choose whatever that other thing is. Let's say it's money. And you love to have money. So therefore, you want to keep as much of it as you want. And then either you're going to use your spouse as a vehicle or an obstacle. And if they're doing what you want to do, them to do with the money, then everything is going to be okay. And you're going to say, yes, we're on course to get where we need to go. And you're going to say, good, that's what I wanted. It's great. And on the, back, on the other side, if they don't do what you want and they spend too much, all of a sudden now they're an obstacle. And now you become the victim for their spending. And all of a sudden, now you're not happy anymore, not because God did anything, but because your ruling desire has not been met. And all of a sudden, you have a war in a relationship all because a good thing, a good desire has become a bad one. Because that one has become, say it with me, a ruling. It rules your relationships and you're the victim of everything else and you cannot have joy until what you want has been satisfied. Say it, Pastor, say it, say it. That is why it is extraordinarily non-biblical to say if daddy ain't happy, nobody's happy. Or it's extraordinarily unbiblical to say if mommy ain't happy, nobody happy, even though we say it a whole lot. And the reason we're saying is because mama or daddy have a ruling thing that's become a, a, a tool that they get joy from when it's accomplished. Say it. Say it. And, and, and just to make sure I don't leave anybody out, I'm going to give you five things that we do that have become idols and we manipulate our relationships to get it. Five of them. Everybody is going to be in this. Everybody. And if you're not, when I finish these five, stand up. <laughs> Number one. Number one. When you, those of you who love to control, you got to control everything. Because you don't trust God. You don't trust nobody else but yourself. So you're going to do everything you can to make sure that everything is under control. This gives you anxiety. When you're not in control, you get anxious. And all of a sudden, you start, you start twitching and you start moving. And you can't, you know, what, what to do because you're now anxious because they're, they're not, you, the people that you're interacting with, your spouse or your kids, they're not a vehicle to get you joy. They have become an obstacle. And all of a sudden now, you are anxious. This happens at work too, by the way. 
When you don't get what you want and somebody don't do what they're supposed to do, all of a sudden you get anxious. And because you get anxious, they're not the vehicle that you want them to be to get what you want done. So now they're an obstacle that needs to be removed or needs to be dealt with so that you can get joy again. Because your joy comes from your ruling desire, not from God. Number two. Number one is what? By the way, none of this is in your notes. So you got to take, don't look all over the place. It's not there. Just, just get your phone out and write some notes. Is that all right? Oh, they have it up here. Praise the Lord. Uh, the thing that tends to do, control is number one. Number two is perfectionism. When everything got to be perfect. It's just got to be perfect. You cannot leave the house without looking in that mirror 15 times to make sure not a, not, not a thing is out of place. So ain't nobody can get in your car because it needs to be pristine and perfect. And if it is not, you're going to wear somebody out. It's a good thing. Clean car. It's a good thing. Look presentable. But when it becomes a ruling thing, you cannot operate unless it is the way you want it to be. All of a sudden now, it's become a ruling thing, which makes it a bad desire. Number three. Now, let's get a little more sophisticated with these. Number one is control. Number two is perfectionism. Number three, watch this, is when you always have an answer. You ever meet anybody like that? They always got to have an answer. You go in a meeting with them, and they're not even talking to them. They're talking to somebody else. And they're like, whoa, 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 what I think, ain't nobody talking to you. <laughs> All of a sudden, you have to give it. Anybody asking for your opinion, but you want to give it? And you just have to have an answer. Listen, it's causing you anxiety. They ask the question to somebody else, and you're getting all anxious. Ooh, I know that answer. Ooh, I know that answer. Let me just give it to them. Let me just give it to them. Ooh, let me just They need to know what I know, because I know more than most of these people in the room. So they just need to hear what I got to say. Can you imagine being married to you? <laughs> so here's what it means. Here's what it means. It, it's a good thing. You got answers. It becomes a bad thing when you always have to open your mouth. It's okay to have the answer and not give it. It really is okay. And it's okay to not give it later either. It's okay to never give it. Just keep it to yourself and say, I knew that one, but I'll never tell anybody ever. And not next week, not the week before, not two years later. Oh, you remember? You remember February 14th when that happened? Let me tell you what I really wanted to say, but I didn't say it. I held it back because I was trying to walk in the spirit. Well, you're not walking in the spirit now. <laughs> I promise you, this is what drives your anxiety. Number four, watch this one. When you, you always want to save somebody. You know what this person does? This person person that don't talk a whole lot. But they watch what's happening, and if somebody, you know, talks to somebody else and they seem a little hurt, then right after the meeting, they'll come out and say, hey, you know what? I really was on your side. I just want you to know it's okay. You know, me and you, yeah, we see the same way. That's how we roll. So you have anxiety in the meeting when the other person is talking to the other person and they're not giving an answer and you want to come alongside them and support them and you're getting anxious because, uh, uh, can I help them? Can I please help them? Because you have that gift, right? It's a good desire, but it becomes a bad one when you can't hear anything else in the meeting because you didn't get to come to their rescue. 
Can you imagine being married to you? Number five, approval. Approval. When all you want is somebody's approval, everywhere you go, you wait. You take the trash out. <laughs> you, you, you wash the dishes. You got the kids ready. You called the college kid. You, you, you made a good deal. Uh, uh, you sold another house or another company. And all of a sudden, you, you can't. You, hey, you, you did good today. You did. Okay, okay, you did good. You did good. And you're anxious, full of anxiety when nobody is telling you, you did good. And all of a sudden, now you're walking around just listening. How good am I? How good am I today? And you, you don't do it like that, but you walk around expecting people to say, yeah, you got this, you got this. Do you see what I'm saying, family? I'm telling you, all of these, every last one of them, creates anxiety. And when they do, it's a telltale sign that this is a ruling thing, and you have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for my three witnesses in the house today. Only three, that's all I need, that's all I need. If three of them are, thank you, one, two, three. Praise God. Now listen, 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 listen. Whenever you find yourself in that position, always remember this, you're trying to be God. Remember, let me put a caveat in this, no part of this sermon should be used as a weapon against your spouse. It is for your heart, not theirs. So whenever they're doing something and, 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 um, and something comes to your mind based on this sermon, that is not the Holy Spirit. It is for you. When it's convicting you, it's the Holy Ghost. When it's convicting, somebody, when it's convicting you about somebody else, that's the devil. Because God wants to deal with you, not them. Can I get a witness, somebody? Because I know what happens. I know what happens. Two of y'all will be like, I ain't going back to that church. Because you're going to weaponize it against each other. And then both of y'all are going <laughs> to go further in despair. And then you're going to say, it's because we went to that church. Just, just let's ignore it and not go back. Which is fine. But my point is, don't weaponize it. Can I get a witness, somebody? Okay, good. So here's the problem. The problem is that we try to play God which is why we want to control everything, which is why we want the approval of everybody, which is why we want to save everybody, because we want to play God. And the way you handle anxiety is that when it happens, when, when, when you want to control, when you want to, when you want to be perfect, when you want to um, always have an answer, when you want to always want to save the person or approval, here's what you do when it happens. You chill. And you don't say nothing. And you don't do nothing. And you said, calm down, I am not God, he is, and he's got it. And then you relax. No, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to start relaxing. And then you're going to start shaking. And then you need to have a prayer. Then you need to have a prayer. Dear Lord, will you please help me not to say anything. Not Just help me, God. Please, I want to right now. But I, please, God, help me to calm down and cast my cares on you. I'm for real. Because if you don't learn to do that, you're going to always make it a ruling thing. 
and it will always dominate your relationships. I'm telling you, you don't need that. Me need that. My counselor, because he's the one helping me. Aren't you glad? Praise the Lord, somebody. That somebody helped me so I can help you. So, in this series, we've started down this path, and here's what we're saying. There's seven of these. Seven of these signs that identify what a healthy marriage looks like. And all we're trying to do is give you something to target and go after. We've talked about three of them. I can only get to two today, so we'd be at five, then next week we might finish the other two. So let's see where we've been, and then let's go to where some new material now. So the first one we talked about was love. And we said the habit of love. One of the signs that you're in a healthy marriage is love. That is, you're not selfish, but you're selfless. What are you overcoming? The roommate complex. Sign number two was what we said was the pursuit. Genesis chapter 2. Put your, wherever your heart is, there your treasure is. So therefore, you must make sure you're putting all your energy, your resources, everything you have toward your spouse so that you complex falling out of love. Number three is habit of confession and forgiveness. What does that mean? You will consistently ask God to forgive you and confess your sins and then give forgiveness to somebody else. What does that mean? What is it overcoming? The attorney complex. That's what we're going after. We've, we've talked about those three. Let's go to two more today. I want to talk about, first of all, I want to talk about the, the habit of process. Everybody say process. That's not everybody. Everybody say process. Every single day, you must remember that you're in a process. Ladies and gentlemen, the church have done us a disservice for a long time. Here's what the church is good at. We're good at preaching promises. We're really good at saying, here's what God's going to do. Here's what God's going to deliver. Here's how God's going to see your breakthrough. Here's how you're going to get through it, and you're going to get your blessing. We're good at that. We're really, really good at that. But that's for Sunday. You go home on Monday, and God says, I have a process for that promise. Nobody wants the process. Everybody wants the promise. But if you get to where God wants you to be, it is a process that he walks you through to get there. And we have too many people that leave church waiting on grabbing your blessing when God says, uh-uh, I'm going to take you through a process to get there. So that process is called his workroom. Ah, God says, I got some work for you. And I'm going to do this work on you because you got some rough edges. I got I to gotta, I gotta smooth out some of these rough edges. Some of this impatience, some of this self-centeredness, some of this building my own kingdom. God says, I got to use some sandpaper called my word and the Holy Ghost. And I've got to smooth out some of your edges. Now, the problem is, what some of you have done in the past, is you've gone, you've got, God's been doing his work, and you say, God, I just don't like when you, it, it, I don't like the abrasiveness, I, don't, I just don't like this, I just don't feel good. And after all, I'm, I'm, I'm here for happiness, and I'm not happy when you're doing this to me. This hurts, God, so I don't want you to do this, so guess what? I'm just going to get rid of this spouse, and I'm going to go to the next spouse, so that I don't have to deal with your foolishness, God. So I'm going to get out of your workroom. No problem. God says, this, since the sandpaper didn't work, God says, I got another tool. Because the first one clearly didn't work. So let me get you with this one. So some of you leave the graciousness of the sandpaper. So now God has to pick it up a notch. 
Because let me tell you something. You're not going to win. God wins. It does not matter the tool he has to you. If this don't work on your second marriage, then he said, no problem. He said, this one will. <laughs> but let me explain something to you, family. He's going to get you to conform to his image one way or the other. So you get the truth. So you can blame your spouse all you want. Well, if they didn't, well, if they didn't, well, if they didn't. And all God is saying to you is, let me remind you something. You're in my workroom. And I'm the one that's doing the maturation. And in order to get that, then I have to do a little bit of work on your edges. Because your edges need a little bit of filing and a little bit of sandpapering. Down because it takes a process. It is a process. Everybody wants the promise. Nobody wants the process. The only way you get to a healthy marriage is through a process. And God says, allow me please to go to work. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about it for a moment. There are two gardens. The first garden, the first one, is one that's filled with weeds. That's the marriage that's, that, that's not doing good, that's, that's doing bad, and, and it's now filled with weeds. There's another garden on the other side that's filled, that's planted, and that's lush. And that's the healthy one that we're all moving toward. But on this side, you've got the one filled with weeds. Well, how did it get filled with weeds? It got filled with weeds because of three big reasons. Number one, neglect. Nobody tendered the garden, therefore weeds grew up. Because nobody cared for it, nobody paid it attention. Oh no, you paid attention to your kids, but you didn't pay attention to your spouse. All your energy, your resources, everything you got went to your kids, but not to your spouse. And because it didn't, now all of a sudden weeds start growing up all around in the garden. Second reason, because of laziness. Somebody was lazy, and because they were lazy, all of a sudden, that's what happened. Third reason is because you started doubting God. And you started doubting whether or not God could work this whole thing out. And so you ended up in a place where now, all of a sudden, you're like, is this thing ever going to work out? Come with me to Genesis chapter 1. No, Genesis chapter 2. I want you to look at three passages in Genesis, and I want you to show you what God called Eve and then I wanted to show you what Adam called Eve. Take a look at this. Adam, God said, who's speaking, everybody? Who's speaking? Good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be. I will make him a. I will make him a. Last time, I'll make him a. In other words, God says, I'm not just giving you somebody that fits you physically. I'm giving you somebody, I'm customizing for you, somebody that's going to help you with this, and the word literally means pull, push in your decision making. So I'm, I'm blessing you with somebody that's going to be a core, core ear with you that you will be able to push and pull in your relationship as, 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 as far as decision making is concerned. Adam, she's not just there for her physical beauty. Look what Adam calls her. Next verse. Who's speaking? 
The man said, watch what he focuses on. This is bone of my bone and this is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called. Where's he focusing on? The physical. Look at the next verse, chapter 3. Look at what happens. Now the, who, who says this? The man. Now the man called his wife's name. Why did he call her Eve? Because she was the mother of all the. So let me ask you something, Adam and Eve. So maybe the reason Eve is talking to a snake is because Adam only focused on her physically, but not on her mentally, spiritually, relationally, and all the others. So now you have the devil talking to her, asking her spiritual questions. Did God really say? Now you have the devil asking the snake, asking Eve relational questions and emotional questions. Oh, it's going to be good. Oh, it's going to be good. If you get that, it's going to be good. I wonder what would have happened if Adam understood the totality of who God has blessed him with, had a discussion with her so that she is engaged emotionally, spiritually, um, relationally, so that she doesn't need that from the snake, gets it from her husband, and all of a sudden, now they have a push-pull relationship as far as it is them making decisions. I wonder, fellas, if you only focus on what you can get from your bride physically, and not what she can bless you with and God gave her to you for, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and mentally. I wonder if you don't get where you're going quicker. Because remember, the sin means they missed the mark. I wonder if when they acted in interactively together, if they would have hit the mark and therefore not missed the mark. Ladies and gentlemen, all I'm trying to suggest to you is maybe... One of the reasons why we don't get where we want to go is because we're not willing to go through the process. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7 says, fellas, you need to study her, know her. You need to understand comprehensively who she is. And you need to interact with her in a push-pull relationship so that we get to the best decision that's honoring God. But if you never study it, then you don't know it. And if you don't know it, then you never understand the process. Go to your notes now, and you'll see the chart called the, the pushback principle. So now, Adam only focused on the physical. God says, I want you to focus on the spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and relational, all of them, so that you can become who I've called you both collectively to be. Don't ignore the process and act as two individuals. I did not call you to be two, nor do I see you as two. I now see you as one, not two. It's a big deal, my, my brothers and sisters. It's a big, big deal. Because too many people see it as two individuals, not as one working together. Um, um, uh, this, 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 this last couple of days, I, um, I, was in, I was in West Palm Beach, and I got to spend a little bit of time with one of my, um, one of my all-time greatest mentors ever. Uh, I've never met him personally until this week, but he blew my mind. Anyways, so we get to go to this place, uh, four of us plus him, and, um, and I, was just, I was just like starstruck. You ever been starstruck? You'd be like, oh, my God, why am I here? Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! You, you ever go somewhere and you don't want to spill the water because you're so nervous? You'd be like, okay, don't. Just keep your hands beside you. Don't move. Don't do nothing. Just, just sit erect. You're supposed to be here. 
uh, don't slouch. Anyway, that's what I was feeling, right? You, you are going to this place. It is immaculate. In this, wherever we went, it was, I mean, anyways, it, you had to have your shirt tucked in. You couldn't wear jeans. You only had to wear shorts and, a, and a, like a polo shirt. And they gave you the, it was just ridiculous, right? It was just amazing. Anyways, so we go in and, um, and um, I'm like a fish out of water because I, I just don't want to mess up. You ever go to a place and you don't want to mess up? So they know that you don't belong here really, but you just... <laughs> You, you know what I'm talking about? That's how I felt. I felt like, oh, God, help me, please. Don't mess up. So I get to go, and they put me right beside him. So he's, right, he's like right here. For real, y'all. And I, so I didn't want to mess up. Um, so then he starts talking. And he said, guys, just great to see you. Heard such great things about you. Oh, my God. God's doing great things. And he starts talking. And in my mind, I'm like, don't mess up. In the name of Jesus, don't mess up. Don't do nothing stupid. Just relax. Be regular. Act like you're supposed to be here. Anyways, so this guy is John Maxwell, right? The leadership guru of all leadership gurus, right? So he's sitting like right here, like right there, like I could touch him. Oh, my God, you have no idea. I've been listening to that, that dude for 10 years on cassette tape. That shows how old I am. Every single week for 10 years, I listen to the dude. And now the dude is beside me. Anyways, um... So then he starts talking about success. And he starts talking about success stabilizers. It's a new book he's writing. And he starts talking about uh, uh, why is it that so many successful people don't do good? And how do you stabilize that success so that they stay humble? So I'm trying not to, for real, I didn't tell no other other, um, uh, service this story. But I'm trying to just stay humble, right, and cool, and just like I'm supposed to be here. So then I'm taking notes with my phone. This really did happen. I'm taking notes with my phone as fast as I can. And then every now and again, I slip over to take a picture, and I put it on a picture, <laughs> and just keep going, right? I didn't tell no other services, only alone what I got this. But this really did happen, right? So I did it one time, you know, trying not to be starstruck. So then I do it. I'm taking some more notes again. He's talking to me, and I'm taking them more, and I slip it over there and go, <laughs> but this time, but this time, it goes off. Y'all are so embarrassed. I said, see, you're just a fool. That's all you are. You're just a fool. Anyway, he goes, you know when your phone is not off? The first one worked, though. But the second one, they go, lick. They all prepared. They were so cool. They, they acted like they didn't hear, but they all heard. Anyways, let me get to the point that he said. <laughs> so anyway, so, so he said, he said, I don't, I, I don't. He says, let me tell you how I define success. We said, you have so much success, man. Nobody, nobody does what you do. Nobody wrote 85 books. Nobody's traveling all over the world, talking to presidents. Nobody does this stuff. How, how, how do you handle it? He says, first of all, you need to know my definition of success. My definition of success is this. That the people that know me the best must love me the most. He says, if my kids and my wife don't know me fully, and love me the most. When I go out there, they, they see the same person out there as is in here. When, when I'm in here, I am present with them and they love me and they know I love them and will give everything up for them. Then I'm not successful. What kind of success it would be if I gained the whole world but lose my family? So now all of us, you know, these are all pastors. They're all on the floor. We all like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And he says, gentlemen, there is nothing else. That's more successful than making sure you're successful at home.
Oh, why, why, why am I bringing that up? Because if you're not spending time tending your garden, then you're going to have weeds. And if you have weeds, it means you're not successful. You might be successful in corporate America, but you're not successful with your spouse. Is anybody hearing me right now? I'm not done. 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 Then on the other side, you have the planted garden. No, the planted garden, they tell you all the time, um, um, if, if you have healthy grass, you don't have a problem with weeds. The only reason why you have weeds is because you have an unhealthy grass. So the healthier the grass, the less weeds you have to struggle with. So it means if you're tendering the garden, then you don't have to worry about the weeds. The problem with weeds, though, is when you're getting from process, when you're getting from this side, the, the weed side to the planted side, is you pull the weeds and you have a tendency to think, okay, there are no more weeds. I can walk away. But if you know weeds, they keep on growing. So you've got to come back and daily begin to pull the weeds all day long. Last story, then we'll go to the next one. Um, you got to remember this. <clears throat> so I thought I was doing good. I really did. And um, um, when you watch my dad, my, my dad did a good job. He, he, he gave me faith and he did all kind of great stuff. Uh, loved my mom, saw the whole thing. Um, uh, 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 but I'd, he'd go to work at nine and he'd come back home at nine. So then as kids, because in a third world country, you're working to just pay the bills. You don't have the luxury to go to your kids' games and do all that. So I decided I'm going to fix his the flaw he had, I'm going to fix it. So I decided, at 3 o'clock, I'm going to be home every day. And, I, and I, when the kids are getting ready to go to bed, then I'm free again. But I'm going to be present with my kids. And I decided, oh, yeah, this, this man right here, I'm going to be present. So every day, we go home and we have a riot. We really do. We have a riot. We, we laugh. We play. We roll on the floor. We do everything. We fart. We do everything. I mean everything. We do it all. Jada don't like that, but that's okay. We just do it all. Can, can you say that in church? My bad. If a man's laughing in here, you're wrong. Because you know you let it rip. Anyways. Um, um, but here's what I didn't realize. That I spend a lot of time with my kids fixing a problem I saw in my dad. But there was somebody else that needed time that I assumed didn't. So I'm fixing this problem while creating another problem. We do it all the time. We fix a problem our parents had and simultaneously create another one that we didn't even know was there. So I'm doing all this and thinking, Jada, good. Somebody over here don't get it. I'm fixing a problem with my kids, so I'm present with them. But without knowing it, at the same time, I'm neglecting somebody that needs the same attention. Why, by the way, why are you looking at me like you want to hear more of my story? Tell your own story and figure out your own story. 
But I'm just telling you, I had to learn that lesson. Because I can't invest there and then forget my garden. So that there are no weeds in that garden. And, 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 and one night a week or one date night is not enough. Because you don't leave a grass for a whole week and expect there not to be any weeds. Gentlemen, you can say amen. It's okay. But if you don't do that, you got to be careful because history will make you solve a problem which also creates one. Your job, fellas, is to tender the garden that God's blessed you with and to tender it comprehensively, not in one slice of the pie, the physical. Ladies, can I get a witness? Y'all don't even want to say amen real loud today, huh? It's all right. Let's get out of here. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Let's go to one more and then I'm done. I promise you. After the second one is vulnerability. I'm done after this. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, we can handle this too. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Um, the habit of vulnerability. What do you, what's the complex? It doesn't take all that. It don't take all that. I don't need to share all that. I just need, you just need to do you and I need to do me and it will work out. Okay. At the top of the hill, listen, at the top of the hill is intimacy and that is spiritual, emotional, physical, relational intimacy. Listen to me, please. The only way to get up that hill is with vulnerability. The problem with vulnerability is the road is rocky. So it's hard to get up there. And the two, the two guardrails are, number one, pain, and number two, suffering. Because you have to become who God wants you to be, to be able to experience a taste of what it's going to be like when you get to heaven, which is the kind of intimacy he wants you to taste on your way there in the already not yet. So then how do we get there? There are two ways. Number one, please remember this. Number one is this idea of the humility of approachability. And then number two is the courage of honesty. This is so huge now. This is so huge. The courage of honesty and the, what's that word called? Humility of approachability. Everybody has one of these two issues. Either you're not approachable because you're a know-it-all. And so they've tried to come talk to you before, but you don't want them to come talk because you know how this is going to go. They're going to have their own way. They're going to win the discussion. They're going to entertain you. And while you're talking, they're going to be thinking of the solution. And they're going to be thinking how to refute all your arguments. And you know it. So therefore, you have to allow God to work on you with humility so you can apologize for being unapproachable so that the spouse can then say, I'm going to try again, and God give me the courage to try, and you should say, thank you for trying one more time, and I am sorry for the other times when I was not approachable because I was the know-it-all. On the other side is the courage of honesty. No, you know what this is. This is the person that doesn't want to have the conversation. You don't want to deal with the conflict. You don't want to deal with the differences. And so you don't, you've tried it too many times and you got your head chopped off. So I'm not doing it again. It's too painful when they talk about you personally instead of the issue that you want to talk about. So I don't want to do it again. And God is saying, come on in the room. Let's get to work. I want you to have the courage. I want you to have the courage of honesty and to go there one more time. But I'm afraid if I go, what's going to 
that happen. I know, but I want you to have the courage to go one more time. And you're not trusting your spouse. You're actually trusting me because I'm the one that's going to walk with you through it. And I'm the one that's smoothing the edges off so that you can look more like me. Because after all, it's not about them. It is about you. So you should do what I've asked you to do and have the courage to let me smooth you out so that you can walk in the spirit and go entertain this discussion that the devil don't want you to have so that your marriage stays stuck in the situation it is in and you stay there and coast until the kids leave and then you get a divorce. What are you going to do? Have the courage of honesty? Have the humility to say, I need to be more approachable. So here's all God sent me by to tell you today. You're this piece of wood. And he's using your marriage to smooth out your edges so you can have a good relationship and a healthy relationship so you pursue vulnerability. Will you do it? So here's how we're going to end our time. We're done. Here's how we're going to end our time today. We're going to end our time by you identifying which one of the five and which one of these two you need to say to God, here I am, use me. Here I am, smooth me over. So let's review them again. So it's either, it's either, number one, um, control, perfection, always having an answer, being there for others or approval, or it's the humility of approachability or the courage to have the conversation. So if you don't mind, I don't want anybody moving now because I want God to do a work in your heart, and then we're done. So which one is it for you? I want you to take the next 15 seconds while I smooth this piece of two-by-four over for you to invite God to do the same thing to your heart. Choose one and then make it your own prayer. Go ahead, choose it. now more than ever before is for us to do nothing and to stay on the same trajectory we're currently on. He wants us to say it's the other person's fault. He wants us to say I don't have anything to work on. But God, we're in your workroom and you're trying to get us to look more like you. So will you help us to reject the blame game Will you help us to open our hearts toward you? What we want more than anything else is for you, God, you, to transform us from the inside out. You hear the cry of your people, God, by whatever means necessary. 
teach us this week how to not make our desire a ruling one. Teach us this week how to humble ourselves and be more approachable and how to have the courage to have the honest conversation because the enemy wants us to be silent and to suffer there. Will you teach us, God? In your son's name we pray. Everybody say. Will you give God a round of applause, everybody?